Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Make sure to sign up for Zenium's annual What People Want From Work survey. It's a great retention tool, a great attraction tool to make sure to have that feedback loop about what your employees think about company leadership, their compensation benefits, their diversity, equity, inclusion practices. We're going to ask it all. And Zenium does all the work. All you need to do is have one representative sign up and participation's free. And there's a free report in the end. Link is in the show notes if you want to sign up. That's free up until September 1st. All right, today's guest, and apologies for getting this a few days out. I was actually on a well-needed vacation and a couple days late in getting this episode out to you. Today's episode is with Donna Cutting. Donna is the author of Employees First inspire, engage, and focus on the heart of your organization. And in this episode, we're talking about how to inspire and engage your employees so that they're the heartbeat of the organization. So often organizations, businesses, we focus on the customer experience, but we lose sight of the heartbeat of the organization, which is the employees. So we're talking about engagement, leadership, vision. We're talking about all of that. And you're going to get a ton of great takeaways. Donna was fantastic. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I'd love to connect with you and hear from you there. And if you'd be so kind, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to leave a written review, that'd be awesome. Enjoy. And we'll talk to you next week. Donna, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Brandon. I'm really excited to be here. We're going to talk about your book, Employees First, Inspire, Engage, and Focus on the Heart of Your Organization. I think you said you wrote this about a year ago. So when you were writing this uh, and even released it, you know, this is mid-pandemic. Did you find it hard to write a book uh, while there's so much, I want to say, I mean, the nice word is transformation chaos is another word I want to use. Like it's just, there's so much uncertainty and it's hard for people. Like, did you find it hard to write a book about employee engagement? Yes. Um, and I'll tell you, so actually now that I think about it, it was two years ago, cause it was 2020. And why did I decide? I mean, I've had this book in my heart and on my mind for many years. And all of a sudden in 2020, I found myself with lots of time <laughs> to rewrite a book. And so I sat down to write it, but as we got closer and closer to publication and as we were going through final edits, it became really evident that number one, it couldn't be a better time to release this book. And number two, things were changing, you know, at the speed of light. And I think I even say in the book, it's pretty daunting to be writing a book in the middle of such immense change. But I will still stand by what is written in the book, because I think the principles of what makes people feel valued and seen and heard, which is really what we're talking about here, remain the same. And that it's just time for people to shift from like kind of a quick fix approach to really go deeper 
and focus on relationships, um, you know, appropriate relationships in the workplace. Yeah. It's interesting. You said the quick fix approach to, you know, whether it's employee experience overall. And I, it's funny because I think there's some employers out there that are thinking like, oh, what's a quick fix to improve? Like just a quick jolt of like, how can we improve the employee experience? I think most employers just flat out are intentional about employee experience altogether. Do you find that to be true with employers? Yeah, as a matter of fact, and of course, not everybody, right? But as a matter of fact, what prompted me to start thinking about writing this book is that my first two books are about customer experience. So rolling out the red carpet for your customers. And as I was doing the work with my customers, there were often enough times where I would be in discovery. So I'm learning about their organization and talking with their team members. And I'm there to help teach their team members how to give better customer service and realizing, well, like... I should have written a different book first, you know, and that's the one about the employee experience. And at least in the past, I think it was the afterthought, you know, we have to focus on the experience we give our customers, but you forget it comes from the experience that your employees are having. And of course, now they're speaking up about it, <laughs> both with their voices and also with their feet. Yeah. What have you learned about employee experience over the last couple of years and, and during COVID and just a lot of transition with employers. Has it changed dramatically? And or, you know, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. I mean, there are some things that have changed. I think, you know, we went through a pandemic and all of a sudden you have a group of frontline hourly employees who are have suddenly realized their worth. You know, we're at the front lines literally of this pandemic in 2020. And then I think also, what has happened is that as a collective country, as a, as a world, many of us have started to realign our life with our values. And that that's where you're seeing a lot of baby boomers retiring earlier than they thought they might uh, because they've looked at and gone, you know what, what's really important to me, right? Um, you have a whole generation of people who are more entrepreneurial anyway, and have decided that they want to work for themselves rather than have someone dictate for them what they can and cannot do. And so I think there's a lot that's changing logistically like that. You know, an older generation who grew up with different mores and different expectations of the workplace who are now trying to deal with a new generation who have completely different expectations of their workplace and a different sense of loyalty, right? It's more loyalty to, to myself and my cause and what matters to me and to the world at large as opposed to this particular job. So I think one of the biggest things to understand is it's going to have to change. And then on some level, it hasn't changed at all because it really does come down to that we all just want to matter, you know, that that's, that's ultimately what it is. And, and the workplace could be, if we let it, it'd be a great practice run for building better relationships, which ultimately means a better world, um, not to get lofty, but. 
You mentioned generations. One of the things I wanted to ask you is just this unique, I want to say opportunity. It's also a challenge right now. There's many generations in the workplace right now. I think it's what, four different generations. And you mentioned the word loyalty. I think the loyalty levels vary greatly between generations. You might have the boomers who are likely to stay for 20, 30 years, retire, get the gold watch, whatever it may be. Maybe hopping to a new job after one to two years. I'm a freak of nature. I'm a millennial. I've been with the same company for 14 years. But I'm curious if there is a few factors in getting people to have some loyalty or to get them to stay even for an extended period of time. What what are some of the keys behind that? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, it's never going to be like it was back in, say, my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation, because frankly, companies were more loyal (laughs) to their employees back then. And so that's just all been shifted. And I think we're going to have to look at employee retention and turnover um, differently. You know, it is going to be rare that somebody stay with an organization for 14 years. But one of the first things that came to mind when you were asking that question is the first story in the book, Employees First, which is about this um, baseball team in Savannah, Georgia. Bananas. The Savannah Bananas, that's right. And um, and they really, their owner is also the founder of an organization, of a company called Fans First Entertainment. So they kind of work simultaneously together and it's really more about entertaining than baseball, although they do play baseball. But they created this whole very concrete vision and put it out there for the world to see of where they wanted to go as an organization, the difference that they make, how they impact the lives of the fans that sit in the stand and the people who watch all of their social media videos and um, what a difference that's making in the world. And when I was talking to Jesse about that, he said, I think one of the things is that we just keep thinking millennials, you know, have no loyalty or whatever, but what if they're just looking for like, what's next? You know, what, why does this matter? You know, what what is it um, that I get to do that really makes a difference in the world and that a lot of organizations just aren't really great at articulating that. So, you know, I would say that's number one is give people something to care about, (laughs) um, to get excited about. And by the way, not in the book, because I didn't find this out until after writing the book and after it was published. But um, the Savannah Bananas and Fan First Entertainment have something like, I don't know if it's 800 or 8,000, but either way, it's an impressive number. I'll go with 800, an 800-person waiting list of people who want to work for them. So that's today in the day of the great resignation and staffing shortages. They have a waiting list of people who want to work for them. So they're also like fun to work for, very appreciative, uh, you know, very caring, like all of those things. And it's making a difference. For an organization like that, take the bananas, for example, they've probably articulated their vision and purpose and what they're trying to do for the community, for, for people. How do organizations instill purpose like that inside their organization? There, there's got to be a process behind it. What, what advice would you give employers who are like, I need to be more clear about our purpose and what we're doing uh, so people can rally behind that? It's interesting when you look at organizations, so Savannah Bananas being one of them, but really almost any of the great organizations that you think of when you think of great culture, you know, or great customer service, 
it often starts with the leader. So really understanding as a leader, what is your sense of purpose? Like, why are you getting up to do this every single day? And it's got to be beyond making money, right? It's got it's got to be what's your purpose over the profits? Because your company's profits is not what's going to compel other people to jump on board. But then, of course, it has to live beyond the leader, right? So that when that leader leaves and there's a succession plan that that mission carries forward. So the next thing I always say is then once you're clear on what that is and you have a clear kind of vision of where you want to go as an organization. And again, thinking about like, what, how are we contributing to the greater good of the world, right? Because that's, I think you can, as a millennial, you can speak to this, but this is what I'm, I'm told that that's millennial and generation C more interested in that, right? (laughs) How is what I'm, I'm seeing that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so how, how are we going to contribute to that? Then once you have that, start including the rest of your team in conversation. So you'll see in my uh, in employees first, one of the things that I harp on again and again and again is involving your team and listening to their ideas. The more people feel a part of something, the more likely they are to buy in and then make it their own. So really listen and then collaborate with them to help carry that vision out. Mm-hmm. There's a quote I found in your book. I don't know if it came from you directly or if you're quoting somebody else, but it was too good to, to not get your response on it. So I just, I'm going to read it and I want you to respond to it about what it means to you. So the quote says, with every person you hire, your culture either gets better or worse, end quote. What do you think about that? That's so true. It's um, So that was Sydney Kokel, and she is the Senior uh, Vice President of Marketing for Talent Plus. And they are an organization out of um, Nebraska that helps people find like people with the right skills and talents, right? So that's very fitting for her. So I have actually two responses right now. So the first is absolutely, like you want to be very clear about what you're setting out there to do. And then you want to be really clear about who is it and what qualities do people have to bring to the table in order to be able to carry out that vision as a team, right? So selection of even in this market, and that's really hard because right now, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing with a lot of my customers kind of we're so short staffed, we're just grabbing anybody who will say yes. And I think it's really hard to kind of like back up, back up and go, oh, wait, like, is that really the best way to serve your customers? You know, or is that really... Having said that, I'm going to add an addendum to that. And that is that I also think that sometimes we hire people who have the potential to gain more confidence and share their skills and talents that in ways that they might not be showing at first. And it's up to leadership to not drop the ball you know, and, and not support them in doing that. And so if you haven't supported them in doing that, you can't just go back and say, well, it's because we hired the wrong people, you know, that's why. Sometimes it's because of how um, the, the system has been set up. And, you know, do you have a safe workplace? Do you have a supportive workplace? Are you, are you helping people gain the confidence that they need? 
when I read that quote, the first thing that came to mind was of the old saying of like higher, slow, fire fast. And I've found myself in situations where it's easy to get impatient about losing out on candidates or just hire the hiring process is going a little bit slower. I like, I need somebody to fulfill the role, but hiring the wrong fit is, it can be so damaging to a culture that I think that saying makes a lot of sense. Those the hiring slow, you got to make sure they're the right fit and the right for the right role. Yeah. It's interesting because now I think with what a lot of people are facing, I'm hearing a lot of hire fast, hire fast, like sometimes the same day, get them on the phone, get them in there, get a paycheck in their hand. Right. (laughs) And, um, and even if it's that, that's the case, you know, what I've been adding is, okay, if you're going to hire fast onboard slow and use your onboarding as an extension of the interview. So first of all, you want to onboard people, you know, throwing them out on the floor is not even kind, never mind effective, but onboard them, not only that, but use the onboarding process as an extension of the interview so that if you're seeing flags, you know, that they don't show up, you know, they don't show up on time, you know, they're not really paying attention, get curious, find out what that's about, but it also might be a signal that maybe you didn't hire the right person. And it's better to make a decision about that sooner rather than let them infect your culture and, you know, infect the employee experience. You worked on some research uh, where you interviewed frontline employees about uh, what makes them feel valued. I think you interviewed hundreds of people and I want to know what you learned from that. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting because what I often, I, and I don't think it's going to surprise people, but I don't think it's what we focus on. Um, I, what I often hear is like, how do you appreciate employees? We had a pizza party for them last week, you know, or employee of the month, or like we have this program, right? We have these anniversary pins. And I want to start by saying like, all of those things are good. Those are like fun parts of your culture, you know, that it makes your culture fun. It makes it fun to go into work, but it's not actually what people are telling me. So the question was, tell me about a time when you really felt valued at work. And there are five themes that keep coming up in the stories that people are telling me. So one of them is they noticed and commented on my contribution. So even just like the other, like a couple of weeks ago, I had a frontline employee say in my old department, I didn't know what it felt like to be valued. But in this department, because I switched departments, my boss said, hey, thanks for what you did today. You did a really good job. And she literally was tearing up as she was telling me this story. Like, it's that simple, right? That simple. And it doesn't happen often enough to enough people. So that was number one. Number two is listen to me. Listen to my, like, I have ideas. I know what's going on. Listen, care about what I have to share with you. Number three is um, stories of people seeing potential in them that they didn't see in themselves. So usually like some mentor or a boss or supervisor or someone who gave, who really saw that they could be greater than they actually were. And then that leads to number four, which was give me projects to help me 
um, improve and develop. So I had an administrative professional say I could care less about going to lunch with my boss on administrative professionals day or the flowers or the trinkets or whatever. But when they included me in a project and I felt like I was contributing in a really important way, that's what made me feel valued. Um, And then last is workplace, like caring about my life outside of work. Those stories I could almost put into two categories. So one is like, know who I am. You know what I mean? Know my name. Know, you know that I have a dog named Sparky and two kids, you know, twin daughters or, you know, whatever it is. Not at, not crossing a line in, in personal workplace, but just like, Know that I'm more than just a cog in your wheel, basically. And then the other side, the other side of that is care about the fact that I have a life outside of work. You know, that I don't want your emails at midnight that I feel compelled that I have to respond to, or I don't want to work late every single day. Even though I'm the one that always says, yes, I don't want to do that because I've got a family I would like to get home to. So those kind of things. When you ask people to name or describe the best boss they ever had? What sort of answers do you get? It's like all those things that I just said. It really, the best boss I ever had. And and sometimes it's like you knew that you know that he or she means business. They don't suffer fools, you know, very clear about their expectations, but very um support like giving me the tools that I need to do my job and then very appreciative and then a lot of like seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself um those kind of stories as well earlier we were talking about how you wrote a book on customer experience and it's always interesting when you talk about customer experience because it like I think based on the way that employees show up in that customer experience it has something to do with how they're treated at work it's almost like the customer service and if it's good it's a byproduct of whatever culture they have and there's a great story in your book about since i'm from oregon i gotta bring this up oregon pacific bank they're in the coast of oregon and florence and in oregon in august of 2020 i'll never forget this the oregon fires were absolutely insane i mean it looked like the gates of hell in the sky. It was just unbelievable how, how bad they were and certain areas were pretty affected. What did Oregon Pacific Bank do to show up for a, a customer? There was a great story in there about the Oregon fires and I want you to share that. Yeah, both customers and a coworker too. And uh, and I hope you and your family fared well in, in those for good. Yeah, so their whole bank is built on this idea of kindness. So they really talk a lot about building their culture of kindness. And one of the times where that was really evident was during those fires. And Ron Green, who's the president of that bank of Oregon, and Pacific Bank, he told me this wonderful story about um, just a teller at the bank who uh, was serving one of their regular customers. And she had this woman um, had a farm like full of animals and, and a house and children and her entire, I guess her entire like house and the barn, everything had burnt or was burning and she was trying to evacuate her animals. 
and had nowhere to bring them and, and her, fa- you know, her family and her animals and the teller had a space for them. And without even like thinking about it, not checking with anybody just said, you can bring them to my house, you know? And so like the cows and the sheep and all of it. And, and it was just like, and what Ron said, like, I'm actually starting I'm, to I tear got, up. <laughs> my eyes, like, it's unbelievable. Telling you that story story and he said you know just the fact that we've built this culture where that teller felt safe enough to offer that to a you know a customer of the bank it's not like they were best friends or anything um you know that's just something that really made him proud and and then they had a co-worker who lost everything like lost his entire um apartment i think and photo albums he was putting together for his mother like all these really important important things, but clothes, everything. And, you know, his coworkers just swarmed in and took him grocery shopping, like gave him gift cards, a place to stay, you know, constantly would call or text like, I'm at the store, do you need anything? And he said, again, just to work at a place where that kind of relate, those kinds of relationships are happening. Um, You know, I couldn't have asked for a better place to work. Mm-hmm. You know, money, profit, all those things are important in business, but without the people working inside of it happy, like you're not going to have, I think it always felt like profit's a byproduct of things working well inside of an organization. That's a beautiful story about, it. they're probably a successful organization and it's in large part because of the culture that they developed. Yeah. And they have, they have, they've seen financial successes. They have seen employee retention successes, all kinds of things. But you're right. Like, obviously, we don't want to say, oh, profit doesn't matter. But when you focus on it first, it's not necessarily the thing that's going to compel, you know, your team to want to rally behind and um, jump in to the cause. So it's really focusing on your purpose and your people. And yes, monitor the profits. But so many organizations show time and time again that when you do that, the profits start to take care of themselves. It's the customer service profit chain, by the way. It's like focus on your employee experience. They'll focus on your customer experience and you will grow your profits in your organization. Onboarding is something that many employers get wrong. In your opinion, how can employers roll out the red carpet from day one to make them feel part of the organization, that they're onboarded properly and integrated with the culture immediately? This could be a whole two-hour podcast, I'm so passionate about this topic right now because we do we do a lot of talking with our customers about onboarding. So there's so many different uh, so many different components. So first is to understand that onboarding is a long term process. So it's like it's your orientation. It's your first day on the job. It's your job skills training. And then it's all of the little things that get done or not done over the first year to make you feel like part of this culture and part of this organization. So I would say real quickly, some of the things that I'm seeing right now is orientation is not about getting paperwork done, right? (laughs) This is about, or like all the compliance activities that you may have in your industry that they have to do before they start and you could throw them out on the floor, right? So it is really about 
taking the time to introduce them to your culture, get them excited, like make them help them fall in love with who you are and what you do. And, and orientation is a one-time event. And yes, you have to go through all your policies and, and procedures and all of that, but there are even ways to make that more fun and engaging than what typically happens. So that's number one. Number two is really being intentional about their first day. So is someone there to actually meet them and like looking at things from that employee's perspective, like it's their first day. They don't know where to park. They don't have a friend to eat lunch with, you know, all of those little things that if you're not intentional about, they can just get lost in the fray and feel very unwelcome. And that's when you see people, you know, leave at lunch, right? And that's happening. Like that's when you get ghosted. And then the third thing that I'm seeing a lot of right now is that because people are so short staffed, they are throwing people into the fray right away without giving them the proper education, skill development that they need in order to do a good job. And so then they feel overwhelmed. They don't know what they're doing. And again, that's when you will often see people leave early, um, or certainly they're no longer in love with your company, no matter how good your orientation was. So to really like refrain from throwing people into the fray and do everything you can with the team that you have or pull other people people in to help, but keep that person and the, the facilitator, you know, the, their mentor out uh, of the floor and like really be intentional about their skill development before you put them into the general workflow. So this is a very timely topic for me. Reason being, I have, an, I have a new employee starting tomorrow out of New York and I'm in Oregon. So it's going to be a remote position. And to make that first day extra special, what are like two to three things I should be focused on? Yeah. Oh, that's really great. And and I have a remote team as well. So number one, like, so number one, think about what is it you're going to do to really make them feel welcome. So what can you send them? You know, Already how can you surprise them? Oh, that's great. You're on. <laughs> she, got, she got it this weekend. It was perfect. <laughs> that's right. Be, and, and then start to be really intentional about not just the first day in the first week, but like in order to really learn this job, what are all of the things that they're going to have to learn over the course of, say, six months and then go over with them? Like, here's what you know, here's what we're going to learn together. And here's the method that I suggest that we're going to do that. And so they have a structure and they have some knowledge of like what that looks like. But then the other thing I'll just say is make sure you're focusing even with remote employees. I mean, in fact, it's even more important on, on the four C, or the five C's. I've added a C. So it's um, culture. Like, so how are you going to introduce them to your culture? And even if it's just the conversations that you have with them. Connection. So if you have, I don't know if you have other employees, but if you do, like how what are the tools that you use and can you get them to have conversations with other, you know, other team members, that kind of thing. Connection, um, compliance. So like what are the things you actually have to teach them and then communication. So all of the things, and it may just be a question of, Hey, tell me what questions you have or um, being really 
intentional about the type of communication that you send out. So it's not like 25 bullet points that they're going to fall asleep reading, but that it's, uh, you know, (laughs) it's in bite-sized chunks or graphically designed or whatever. And then that last one is checking in. So setting yourself reminders so that you check in with them on a regular basis and ask deep questions about how's it really going? Like, how is your introduction to our company? And um, in your opinion, is there anything that would make it better? Compensation is something we're talking about a lot. Employers are really struggling with this. You got inflationary pressures, you got just market demand. I mean, people are on the hunt for top talent and some people are just willing to throw whatever money at people because they're they're desperate. It could also make or break employee engagement too. If you if you get it wrong, you disengage people, you get it right, you engage people. But how should, you know, from your perspective, how should employers be thinking about compensation? Are there creative things that they can do to make sure that they hit the mark when it comes to employee engagement? Yeah. So first of all, I even, I, there is a chapter on compensation in the book, as you know, as you might remember in the very beginning, I say, I'm like the last person you should be asking about money matters, but I couldn't write a book without it because it is a really hot topic today and rightfully so. So I'll start by saying this. I think for years, we all said, including myself, we all said, as long as you have a good culture and everybody feels appreciated, you know, you don't have to be the one who pays the most. And the reality is it's actually, it's not one or the other, it's it's both. I mean, people have to feel like they're fairly compensated and that, you know, I have, I, I mean, I've witnessed hourly workers who have families that have to work two or sometimes three jobs to keep that going. So you can't really say you value your employees and then pay them so little that they have to work for two or three jobs in order to feed their family. So compensation is important. And I think there's a lot, you, if you read in Employees First, there's a lot of different stories of, of creative ways that people have met that challenge. Um, but the other thing is to really look at the whole package. So compensation is one piece of the puzzle. So is workplace flexible, you know, work life balance and flexibility. And, you know, there are organizations that have been scheduling their people one way all these years. And now maybe it's time to look at maybe there's a different way to schedule them that might be more attractive to people or stop fighting remote work because it is the wave of the future. And, you know, you're not going to be as attractive, uh, you know, other than jobs that are absolutely tethered and, you know, healthcare and that kind of thing. But be open to other opportunities and other incentives. And also understanding that what incentivizes like your 55, 60 year old employee getting ready for retirement is different than what incentivizes your 20 year old starting their first job and making sure that your whole benefit package addresses all of those needs. For employers who really do want to improve their employee experience, what are some great ways to measure whether or not they're doing good? I want to say, obviously, I want to say retention to begin with, although I think 
we're going to have to look at measuring employee retention differently because it's not going to be the 14. I mean, it'll be rare that it's the 14 to 20 to lifetime, you know, that someone is working. So number one is engagement. So I harp on listening a lot, but are people actually giving their ideas or they're sh- are they sharing their ideas? I mean, that's a good measure of have you created a safe enough space where people feel like their ideas are valued and um, that they're not going to get in trouble for sharing like a contrary idea. So that is one, but you can look at so many other, like, uh, you know, how long are you keeping people in the first week, the first 30 days, the first 60 days, the first 90 days, Um, and then really looking for regular feedback from team members. I think Gone are are the days where gone are the days where it's like once a year or once every other year we just do this annual you know satisfaction survey. You want to be looking for regular, consistent ways to be getting constant feedback from your team members. And then the question is not just measuring that, but then what are you going to do with that feedback? Right. Yeah. What I find useful and this might be overkill. This is what we do annual surveys with like a metric and some you know qualitative responses that we can act on. We always follow up with like, here's what you said, here are the themes, here's what we're going to work on. We like to do quarterly pulse checks. And then we do stay interviews a couple times a year. Yeah. So maybe yeah. that's overkill. Stay interviews. We're trying to keep, we're trying to keep a constant feedback loop from people. Yeah. I, yeah, no, you know what? I don't think it is overkill. I I don't. And I I hear that a lot with communication too, like informational communication in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, especially in a field where I work a lot, which is healthcare and, and senior living, right? I would have CEOs say, I can't believe how excited they are that I'm communicating this every single week, you know? And like, well, I'm not surprised. They just want to hear from <laughs> like, you. They do. They, they, we should have been doing this all along. And so I think there was a lot of like up to the minute communication because there were so many changes happening, not just in healthcare, but in all industries, really. And now people are starting to back off from that a little bit. And I would say there's not, it's not overkill because not everybody is reading the one communication that you sent out in a big, long email you know and so with getting feedback and communication your team will let you know if it's overkill <laughs> you know they will i i think better more than others than uh, less well donna it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show i kept you a little bit longer this is such an interesting conversation and very relevant and important right now your book is called employees first inspire engage and focus on the heart of your organization i encourage people to go pick it up, check it out. A lot of great stuff in there. You know, last parting thoughts, like any, anything you want to share with listeners or anything you want to share as far as like where people can connect with you, find you, anything like that. Yeah, And thank you, Brandon. I feel the same. I could talk to you all day. So I appreciate you having me. Um, you know, I want to go back to something I said in the beginning. At the end of this, this is all about relationships. We're people working in a location or working for a company. And if we could learn to be more curious about each other, more empathetic with each other and more respectful of each other, that's the deep work, you know, that's going to go beyond any 
um, program or pizza party or um, quick fix that you might put into place. It, it's not easy, but I think this is ultimately, this is what's going to create a better employee experience. And if you can do that in the workplace, who says we can't do that in the world as well? I agree. Where can people find you? Redcarpetlearning.com is the website. And of course, uh, I am on all of the LinkedIn as Donna Cutting and Instagram as Red Carpet Donna. And um, I think there's a Facebook page out there and Twitter at, at DonnaCutting.com. And then, of course, the book is on Amazon, but also um, anywhere books are sold. My guest today has been Donna Cutting. Donna, thanks for being part of the show. Appreciate you. Thank you. Right back at you.